it took me a while to understand how the that maps works, but once I got into it, it really felt quite natural to interpret the data that's in there. Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode of Data Stories. My name is Moritz Stefan and I'm an independent designer of data visualizations. And I am Enrico Bertini and I am a professor at NYU in New York City and I do research in data visualization. And on this podcast, we talk about data visualization as well, but also data analysis and generally the role data plays in our lives. And usually we do that together with the guests we invite on the show. But before we start, a quick note, our podcast is listener supported, so there's no ads. So if you enjoy the show, you may want to consider supporting us with recurring payments on patreon.com slash data stories. Or now you can also send us one-time donations on PayPal, and it's paypal.me slash data stories. That's right. And yeah, let's get started. Let's dive right in. We do have a guest today. Our <laughs> guest today is Martin Lambrecht from Belgium. Hi, Martin. Hey, Martin. Hi there. Thanks for joining us. So you might know Martin from uh, some of his projects, such as Rock and Pole, uh, which <laughs> illustrates quite nicely the variability in polling and why you should not trust polling results about elections to the second number behind the comma. Or also visualizations of the Eurosearch song contest, uh, which I quite enjoyed, <laughs> right? So Martin, can you tell us a bit about you, your background and um, yeah, anything else? Okay, so I'm a freelancer. Um, I'm based in Belgium. And I usually call myself a data journalist and a visualization consultant. So um, I have a couple of years of experience working in media as a data journalist. Um, but one and a half year ago, I turned freelancer. And so now I also do a lot of work outside of media. And what I do is I design and I develop visualizations, uh, static and interactive ones. Um, I help to develop visualization tools uh, software and I also give trainings and workshops on data journalism, data visualization, and the communication of numbers in general. Right, and you can find all these materials and the project on martinlambrechts.com. I hope that was pronounced the right way. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what we want to talk about specifically today, so we could talk about this project as well. Maybe we will do it another time, or your courses. Um, but you also run a site called Xenographics. Xenographics. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a bit about like what is what is a Xenographic and what's the site about? Uh, so Xeno.graphics is a website where I collect um, weird charts, um, <laughs> but not only weird charts that are very weird looking, but also have some kind of potential to effectively communicate data. Um, so I started the site a couple of weeks ago in preparation for my talk on the subject at OpenVis conference. Um, and, and what I did at the conference was showing a lot of examples of these weird charts, and, but also sharing some insights I, I gathered during the collection of all these uh, examples of uh, weird-looking charts. Um, the name comes from Greek, so xenos in Greek means stranger. And so xenographics are strange charts, or weird charts, um, 
one definition you could uh, attach to xenographics is that xenographics are charts that someone hasn't seen before. Uh, mm. So, in a lot of cases, this is well, this is actually very subjective. Um, if you take, for example, a scatter plot, for um, for all of us in our audience, this usually isn't a, a xenographic because um, most people listening to data stories, I think, already have seen <laughs> scatter plots. <laughs> but for a lot of people out there, a scatter plot is something weird um, and is a xenographic. Um, one definition I also use for xenographics is um, that xenographic is simply what is published on xeno.graphics on, on the site I use to collect all these examples. So <laughs> That makes it easy. Yeah. yeah, so it's just a subjective collection of charts that I hadn't seen before or that I think are interesting in any, in any way. Um, there's one constraint I use at xeno.graphics and that is that um, the, the charts should work um, in static media. Mm -hmm. So I don't consider interactivity because then it would open the design space a little bit too much, I think. Yeah, yeah. Th th there'll be a can of worms. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> but I guess yeah. it's one of those things where you so you know it when you see it, right? So what is a xenographics? So, <laughs> Martin, um, so I'm going to ask you to to give us a few examples of some of the graphics that you collected, and I realize that it's probably going to be hard to describe yeah. them in in a podcast. So I really encourage our our listeners to, if you want, just stop for a moment and go to our website and check. We, we're going to put some of the images there, for sure, those that we're going to discuss. So if you want to make it easier to follow this conversation, you may want to do that. But anyway, Martin, I am, yeah. I'm counting on your on your description skills. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'll have a go at it. Yeah. Um, so one of the more interesting examples is called a braided graph, and yeah. it's actually an area chart um, where the areas aren't stacked in the y direction, but in the in the z dimension. So you have one area um, in front of the other. And the order of stacking is determined by the data. So you have the smallest data always in front. And um, when you see the chart, it kind of gives you the uh, impression that those area ch areas are interwoven into each other. It looks super weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's totally broken. <laughs> Yeah. I, because all these areas, you think, yeah, you look at one section of the chart, it looks normal, like one is in front of the other, but then when the values like cross, they just mm -hmm. cross and it, it doesn't make any sense anymore visually. It's so insane. Yeah. But it's, yeah, you can, I think you can decipher it, but it looks more like, like either a programming error or a conceptual <laughs> art. <laughs> yeah, or you and, have and, to imagine it as a, as a 3D. In, in a 3D version where it's it's like, I don't know, oh, well, I'll stop here. It's, it's, it's too hard to describe what I have yeah. in mind on a podcast. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely <laughs> weird. Definitely yeah, weird. it's definitely yeah. weird. Yeah, it's actually a chart in 2.5D. You, you, you put it on exactly. two dimensions, yeah, but exactly. you're using part of the, the exactly. third dimension for yes. the stacking. So that's one example I like. Um, <laughs> another one is called um, the many-to-many -many relational parallel <laughs> coordinate plot. 
Yeah. <laughs> the name should already give a hint that something yeah. is going on there. Yeah. And it's so, assuming that people know what a parallel coordinate yeah. plot is, by the way. <laughs> Indeed. For many people, parallel coordinates are already xenographic. Yeah. So this yeah. goes so one step further. Yeah. yeah. So um, the way this works is that you don't put the axis of the parallel coordinates just next to each other, but you arrange them in a way that you can see um, directly the relationship between the different dimensions in the data sets. Um, so in a parallel coordinate plot, you, you might have one dimension on the left and another one far to the right, so you don't really see the, the relationship between mm. those two dimensions. Um, so you can rearrange these axes um, in, in different ways. Um, for example, in, in a star shape or in more like a hexagon shape. And then you can see the relationships between every combination of dimensions in your data. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, super the, crazy. Yeah. It looks super crazy. The yeah. star shape yeah. is actually a an hive plot, right? Isn't that the same thing? Um, yeah, no? there there are multiple arrangements, and and one is in the, indeed similar to uh, hive plots. Yeah, yeah, but and I one is similar to Christmas stars. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and the others are more like I don't know, like uh, gems Star or Star. jewelry. Yeah, yeah. And then um, one of my favorites is called the OD map. Um, mm, OD stands yeah. for Origin Destination Map. Yep. And it's a kind of a, a fractal map. So um, you have a big map uh, divided into cells, and in every cell you have a mini copy of the big map. <laughs> and um, in these mini maps, you uh, again have the cells, and they are colored uh, according to some value. Um, people moving from uh, the, the whole country to this particular cell on the map or moving out of um, this particular cell to other cells uh, in the big map. Um, yeah, and I think it took me a while to understand how the, that map works, but mm -hmm. once I got into it, um, it really felt quite natural yeah. um, to to interpret the data that's in yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, It's like map inception, right? It's like a map and then the same map is inside the map. The question yeah. is, is, is there another small map inside the small cells? <laughs> <laughs> what happens if you zoom in? <laughs> I think it's possible to do it. but I think uh, it should work, yeah. yeah. Maybe yeah. you can show three variables that way. Yeah. Um, fun fact, I also saw that one for um, brain imaging. So I saw a brain that mm. was made up out of a lot of small brains and then mm -hmm. you could talk about the connectivity of the brain areas in that way. So it was... The same principle in 3D. Yeah, it's it's just yeah. um, origin destination, but right. they're not for for geographical locations, but yeah. for parts of the brain. Yeah, crazy stuff. <laughs> so at OpenBizConf, where I saw you talk as well, really nice talk. We hope we can link to it maybe when the video is out, so we will update the blog post. So if you listen to this, maybe two or three months on, uh, you might also check out the video. And there you presented a really nice way to maybe formalize a bit like what the differences between these different xenographics are or how they could be maybe put in an order. And I think that's so interesting, like first to collect all this crazy stuff, but then also to think about, okay, what's, what mm -hmm. are recurring principles or are some of them more weird than others mm -hmm. <laughs> and so on, right? And so, so you invented this five-star um, xeno scale, let's mm -hmm. say, right? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Can, can you briefly walk us uh, through it, like what the different levels are of, of weirdness? Okay. Um, <laughs> so I have a five-star system, and, yeah. and the one-star xenographics are only mildly weird. They are not <laughs> that weird. Just a bit funky. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, and so the, the one star xenographics have to do with how we consume information today. Uh, we used to consume a lot of information on, on big and wide screens. Now we have small and vertical screens. And this obviously has consequences for uh, the kind of charts we make. Um, and the example I used during my talk was this uh, traditional semicircle visualization uh, of the composition of a parliament. Mm -hmm. And um, a semicircle uh, has a horizontal layout, so it's more wide than it is high. And if you use it um, on smaller screens, you run into trouble because um, yeah, the, the, the size of the screen and the orientation don't fit the visualization. So the first technique for making these scenographics is turning um, the, the chart 90 degrees, so, mm -hmm. so it's not horizontal anymore, but vertical. Um, or if you have, for example, a map showing a geographical area that um, runs east to west for long distances, uh, then you also can use this technique to flip the axis, and then you have the north arrow pointing left or right instead of up. Yeah. Um, and yeah, people will be a little bit confused when they, they see these charts, ex uh, especially for the map, because they are used to having the north up. Um, but it makes total sense to to rotate the map uh, on these vertical screens because then you can show much more detail and there's much more room for putting labels in there, for example. Mm -hmm. I've sometimes also seen scatter plots rotated 45 degrees, so it's like a diamond. Mm. Yeah, It's true. also similar in a way that, okay, it's actually a learned yeah. thing, but just by giving it that extra twist, you, you might gain something, but you're also risking a bit, yeah, alienation, but it's a mild alienation. <laughs> Yeah, you have to uh, weigh the, the balances, uh, the advantages and the disadvantages. Mm -hmm. um, but I think in, in, a, in a lot of cases, especially in a news environment where people consume a lot of information on these smaller screens, it, it makes sense to do it. And uh, people are able to relearn um, interpreting these charts. Um, so for these smaller screens, I, I think in a lot of cases, it makes a lot of sense to do it. Okay, so if you want to just tip your toe in the weirdness uh, Xeno River, you, <laughs> your first <laughs> first entrance uh, might be just flipping axes or just changing geometry, basically, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then we uh, are going into the two-star Xenographics, so these are a whoa, little whoa. bit weirder. Okay, <laughs> um, and they all have to do with how you can fit the same data in a smaller space or how you can fit. Um, more data into the same space. So it's all about densifying your charts. Um, and there are techniques um, for doing that. And one of them is to, for example, if you have a long bar chart, you can cut up the mm. categorical axis and place the bars on top of each other. Um, there's one example on the site. It's called piled bars. So you just stack the bars on top of each other. And <laughs> yeah. You can do the same thing for long time series. You can cut up the, the longer time series and then just stack the, the, the parts of the time series on top of each other. 
Um, and another example of this technique are the horizon charts. They they apply the same principle of um, cutting up axes and then stacking uh, things on top of each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's great. And you can get so far just with like, if you have a little less respect of, you know, the original <laughs> chart, just say, yeah, I can cut it into pieces. Yeah. Why not? You know, suddenly you have this, um, this whole new design space in front of you, right? Yeah, true. But it, it I, I saw that it doesn't work for all data sets. If you mm -hmm. have, for example, a lot of bars that have the same length and then you stack them on top of each other, they will obscure each other and um, you won't be able to place labels on the bars, for example. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's a nice technique, but it doesn't work for all data sets. Okay. And um, the point I made there during my talk was that um, I like horizon charts a lot and they are around for like 10 years already or maybe a little more. But they are still quite rare. So it's um, true. The reason, the reason for this, I think, is what I call xenographobia. Um, <laughs> so um, I invented a, a lot of words uh, in my preparation for the talk. So this there is one of them. There will be whole universities for the study of xenographica <laughs> in in ten years. Yeah, <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> so xenographobia is the the fear of weird charts, and yeah. a lot of people suffer from xenographobia. It's uh, widespread. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, in the general public, um, people usually well, a lot of people um, are scared away. When they see a chart they haven't seen before, they are not uh, willing to do the effort to study a little bit. Um, but also in newsrooms, for example, um, you have visual journalists coming up with nice ideas. Um, but then the editor says, well, yeah, but our readers won't understand. Can you please just make a bar chart? Um, so... Um, yeah, the fear of weird charts is real. Um, <laughs> and it's a problem because when we don't publish these weird charts, the, the public um, will not be exposed to these weird charts and they right, will yeah. the level of graphicacy um, mm -hmm. will stay as low as it is today. Mm. Um, so I think we, we have to put more of these weird charts out there. Yeah, yeah and it seems to be like a common idea that you know some people have that idea that any chart should be self-explaining without any explanation whatsoever right mm -hmm. and and should be understood in like milliseconds right and if you take that serious yeah then you will always make a bar chart for sure mm -hmm. because you have no other chance <laughs> yeah. but you could have a much more effective solution that just takes 30 seconds to to learn like the od map and, and then it pays off uh, big time right? yeah it, it's all about return on investment i think right, and, uh, right. we, we yeah. can help the readers by explaining um, to them how the charts work with annotations or a little text or, or, or an animation if we are uh, in a digital medium. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, if you say you don't want anything where you have to learn anything, it's not even thinking about return on investment, but it's just like, I just want the free stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to invest anything whatsoever, right? And then that sort of limits maybe the type of, Results you can get. <laughs> yeah, then then you you can't expect to gain a lot of insights uh, exactly. if, if you want everything for free. So yeah. exactly. So, but would you say that there are some some xenographics that even though are not conventional by definition, it's it's pretty straightforward to learn how to 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 read them, whereas some others require more more effort. Um, I think so because. Um, 
if you think of horizon pile, charts, pile bars is probably pretty straightforward, right? <laughs> yeah, you see, yeah, it's weird. They're piles. Just add pile to something. Right, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. Whereas I don't know, applaud. probably yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, for if you take the horizon charts, for example, um, I don't think they are too hard to understand once you yeah, once I you think, get yeah, it. Yeah, it's the same situation. I think. Yeah. I don't even need, think people need an explanation of how an horizon chart works. It's just pretty straightforward, right? Where it's darker, it's higher. And yeah, but uh, they are no. kind of tricky. They are kind of tricky. Kind of tricky. To, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They are. Yeah, especially yeah. when you yeah. have negative values. Oh, but yeah. I think then, some. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, and, yeah, but I think true. some you can explain what you want, and they do, just don't make any sense. <laughs> or they're <laughs> just really hard to like wrap your head around, even like. And others are more like once you get the hang of them, you're like, oh yeah, th- that sort of works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. But that yeah. might be personal as well, right? I mean, yeah, it it also depends on um, how much experience your readers have in right. uh, reading charts. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, bigger topic. Let, let's yeah, stick to exactly. the to the star scale first. So we have two stars, like making things more tricky in terms of stacking, packing, squeezing, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> so what what would be the three star version? Uh, the the three star xenographics. Um, all share the characteristic that they uh, marry or crossbreed two visualization types together. Um, so an, one easy way of explaining is you could have uh, a scatter plot of pie charts, for example, um, <laughs> which actually exists. You uh, could do that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why not? I actually like it. <laughs> but I also oh, showed oh an, an example of a, pa- uh, a scatter plot of bar charts and also a scatter plot of line charts. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And there's also a Spark bar chart, which is kind of yeah. smart. Yeah. yeah, one way of doing it is um, making small multiples and then mm-hmm. encode information in where you place the small yeah. multiples on the right. canvas. Yeah. Um, the other yeah. technique is really fitting one visualization into another. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. then you, you could have... Shoehorning uh, it in. <laughs> yeah. A, a bar yeah. chart of tree maps or a tree map of bar charts. Um, it's like, oh, yeah. you're giving me ideas. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you could have a whole zoo, like a whole like evolution tree, basically, and just you could do genetic algorithm. Oh my god! (laughs) Anyways, (laughs) moving on. That's a smart strategy, though. Like just yeah, crossbreed two things that work and see what comes out of the the combination. Four stars. The four stars is um, well, it's a technique that's quite common. It's just adding dimensions to the chart. (laughs) Yeah, that's Um, good too. Yeah, one champion of this technique was Hans Rosling. Uh, mm-hmm. With his bubble charts, mm-hmm. if you take an animated bubble chart, then you have five dimensions in there. So right. you have X, Y, the size of the bubbles, the color of the bubbles, and then um, the animation is time. Mm-hmm. Um, so Hans Rosling actually popularized what uh, before was a xenographic because no one or almost no one had ever seen the the bubble chart, um, and so he managed. It's true. Yeah. To to add uh, dimensions to what, what basically is a scatter plot and then um, popularize it. So uh, adding dimensions is the the four technique. Mm-hmm. And you, you can take this very far if you use techniques like uh, glyphs. So you can come up with icons where you can map a lot of dimensions to. Um, 
and one known technique is are the Chernoff faces. So you uh, encode data into um, faces like the the shape of the mouth or the color of the skin mm-hmm. or the, the the shape of the nose or the the hair. And you can take this technique very far. You can um, map like 20 dimensions onto these faces. But then, of course, comes the question, um, should you? Is it still interpretable? Um, Because um, you can pack a lot of dimensions in there, but if people can't read it, Mm. um, yeah, then it doesn't make sense, of course. So um, adding dimensions will lead to to weird charts. If you take a, a traditional <laughs> chart and you just start just add stuff, in. yeah, start um, adding dimensions, then uh, you will end up with uh, xenographics, yeah. which might work, but in a lot of cases won't work. I mean, that, there's a whole like body of work, like also coming from Accurat and like starting with the La, La Lettura, mm-hmm. the you know the mm-hmm. the weekly um, mm-hmm. uh, newspaper editions, uh, the, this magazine, and I think. There's, they made like 10, 20 of these really super elaborate like glyph charts. And now I think there's a whole genre of Italian style infographics with yeah. lots of data dimensions, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah, they uh, basically uh, take a, a database and then map every dimension <laughs> in the database to these beautiful to glyphs. Something. And yeah. then, yeah, you, you sometimes end up with art. Um, but I think if, if I look at these pieces, um, I notice myself looking back bef- between the glyphs and the legends. A lot because there's no mm. way of of easy uh, interpreting the the numbers there. You have to look back to the legend to see what's going on there. Yeah. But but they definitely have their own style and um, yeah, it's a beautiful style. Yeah. And finally, what, what what's the five star method now? Now we're really curious. Like what what's the crown of of chart evolution? Yeah. To. Um, <laughs> To make these five-star xenographics, I, I came up with a, a matrix where you cross, for example, um, geography with time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you will end up with techniques that show the, the geography of time. And, and, and one example of that is um, the when you morph the, geo- the, the geometry of the map, to represent travel times, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. then you will end up with with a map that's not showing the geography, but is actually showing time. Um, and you can mix these, um, yeah, you can call them data aspects uh, in in a lot of ways. So you have time, you have geography, but you also have flow, for example, or you have uh, networks, or you have hierarchies. And then you also have things like uncertainty in your data, um, distributions, correlations. And you can all mix these things together. Um, and then you will have something that that's showing you more than just one aspect of your data. It will show you more than just the hierarchy, but it can show you, for example, the, the evolution over time of a hierarchy mm-hmm. um, yeah. or the uncertainty in, in maps, for example, is also something um, that's, that fits into this matrix. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I came up with this matrix and then I tried to fill up every combination with the examples <laughs> I already had on my site, but there are still a lot of blanks. So ah, there's still uh, uncharted yeah, uh, space. Yeah, yeah it's uh, still work in progress. <laughs> so there is a generative aspect to it, which is cool, right? Yeah, I, I use the matrix also to hunt down new xenographics. Uh, for yeah. example, if I see that there's a gap um, in the combination of 
uncertainty with hierarchy, for example, then I just start Googling um, with, with these terms. And sometimes yeah. I end up with, well, then I find a research paper that, actually, uh, that yeah. was actually studying this uh, combination and how you can visualize it. And then I have another yeah. example for the site. So yeah. it's a yeah. good framework. So one thing I notice is that many of the graphics that you you are collecting actually come come from the research community, which is, of course is very close to my art. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, but I also know that you have opinions about a research and practice gap, and I, I would love to hear what your thoughts on that are. Yeah. So um, I'm a. I'm in the field of data visualization for a couple of years now, and I do like new and innovative techniques. But when in doing my research for xenographics, I went through a whole lot of papers and I found a lot of interesting techniques that I didn't know before. And so I think this gap is, is real. Um, there is not a lot of uh, information flowing from what has been researched to the people in the field. Hmm. Um, and I think this this is also... If only there was a podcast where we could talk about this. No, but you're right. <laughs> With a researcher and a practitioner. Yeah, yeah that, that would be crazy. I mean, that would never work. <laughs> <laughs> so I think there's, there's a problem there. Um, this is... I think actually one of the reasons why uh, we don't see um, much of these xenographics going into mainstream because people in the field often don't know about these interesting techniques. Mm. Um, so I talked about this with Til Nagel. He's a researcher at the University of Potsdam. Yeah. And yeah. Um, he's... Mannheim by now. Ah, okay. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, he had four points... Uh, that we could use to tackle this gap to to make a bridge uh, between the, the the two fields, um, and the first one is that he said he said that researchers should not only publish their papers but they also should do make an effort to publicize their work. So uh, they could create a website for their new technique uh, yeah. they invented or provide some code snippets or make a tool to, to make the, the new visualization types, for example. Yeah. Um, then he said that practitioners should read the papers, and I, I fully agree with this. Um, I found it fascinating going through all these research papers. Um, there's a lot that's been studied, um, so that's what I'm going to do from now on. I, I will <laughs> try to follow what's, what's happening in the research uh, field. Um, and then he had a message for the tool builders, so people who make visualization tools, that they should implement these new techniques that have proven to be effective. It can make a huge difference, yeah. Yeah, yes. one, one excellent example there is raw graphs. Um, so mm, yeah. they made a tool uh, with which you can make a lot of um, these weird charts that were very hard to do before. True. Yeah. So um, they did an excellent job there. And I think D three also helped a lot in popularizing like more like experimental like uh, types of approaches. And and Mike uh, has implemented a lot of these yeah. algorithms that were previously yeah, just exactly. described in papers or yeah. just available as Java classes or yeah. something. You know. Yeah, so, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, 
I think Mike Mike is an excellent example of what Till calls in betweeners, people who mm-hmm. have a, a foot in both worlds. So he right. um, he came from a research background, but then went to work at the New York Times. Yeah. Um, so he's a, a perfect example of someone in between and. Um, I think with Xenographics, I also try to um, make a bridge between the two worlds. And mm-hmm. um, maybe it's time for the people in between to to step up and, and be more public about what's, what they see on, on both sides of, of the, uh, that gap between research and practice. Yeah, I just wanted to quickly say that I think many of these things are going in the right direction. So there are more and more researchers who are actually publishing the mm-hmm. results on the web and making nice nice blog posts on Medium or having nice web pages, as well as researchers who are... So, for instance, Steve Rose has been collecting for a number of years now um, um, for every VIS conference all the papers that are available online. That, yeah, right? that helped me actually a lot. And I just saw that the same thing, somebody has done the same thing for Eurovis who's been going on like during the last few days. So things are changing and uh, these are all really, really good advice. And I do think that having some of these techniques implemented in, in tools that people can readily try out is also a crucial, crucial aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm wondering why people don't create more stuff that goes, say, directly into Jupyter Notebook, where you... So that's something I've been thinking about quite a lot recently. Why don't we do more of this stuff where you you open Jupyter Notebook, you load a library, and bam, you have it in front of you, right? <laughs> I think we should try to do more bam. of that. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> no, right? I mean, you want to make yeah. it as... Um, you want to lower the barrier to... Not even to adoption, just to trying things out as much as you can. Yeah, I, I mean, I think a big challenge is that some of these, um, Martin, as you said already, some of these techniques work quite well in a specific case, and mm-hmm. you can yeah. tweak them to make yeah. them work, you know, well. But it's really hard to build them into a generic tool because they're so yeah. weird. And if you have ever built like a generic like bar chart component, you know, you will appreciate... Yeah. Yeah. The work that has gone into like software yeah, no, that just true. takes random yeah, inputs course. and makes a chart because it's super hard. And also, <laughs> yeah. so I'm really, you know, we had the guys from Data and, and, and Lisa from Data Wrapper yeah, in the podcast course. and so on. Yeah. And it's so hard to build even for simple charts, like a working universal implementation. And mm-hmm. I think that's a big challenge, right? Yeah. Well, what's your take on that, Martin? Like, do you think the examples you collect are like, Will be one-offs mostly, or do some of them have the potential to be like new chart types? Really, I think some of them definitely have potential. Um, but and what I saw was also that some researchers they um, provided like ggplot packages uh, or, or ggplot extensions, so mm-hmm. you you can quite easily make them uh, in R. Mm, um, yeah. About the, the research. Examples that are on Xenographics, um, well, it depends. Some of them are very specific, tailored to a very specific um, kind of data. So you you can see them as like, um, um, how do you call them? Um, Domain-specific visualizations, so they mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. only work for uh, a very specific mm. uh, type of data. But sometimes these domain-specific visualization can also spill over to other fields that have data sets that are um, alike. And um, I think there's also value in there. Um, 
But you're right. Some of them are maybe a bit too weird to 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 work really well. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah I, I just want to collect them so people can see for themselves if if they they like them or that they can work for the data they themselves have. Um, so. Exactly, but, and not everything has to work for everything, right? So, because if this is your goal, then well, be happy with your bar chart. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, but for any specific case, there will always be a better like solution. And mm-hmm. I think it's great that you're providing now this, or also enhancing our vocabulary with this great collection. And I hope it it will just uh, grow. And so, thanks for keeping DataVis weird. <laughs> I think it's a, an important mission. Okay, no problem. Uh, maybe yeah. I should mention that on the site there's a submit link. So, people who have made weird charts of know of examples of weird charts that not that are not on the site already, they can just submit their their work or or the the, the xenographics they have found. And then I can include them also in the collection. Awesome. That's great. That's perfect. Yeah. 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 Cool. I'm just waiting for somebody to train a neural net to generate new ones based on the examples <laughs> you have already. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Thanks so much for joining us, Martin. We are really looking forward to, to seeing your collection grow and, and being further inspired by it. I think yeah. it's a great resource. Thanks so much, Martin. Okay. Thank you. Thank, thanks for having me. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Hey, folks, thanks for listening to Data Stories again. Before you leave, a few last notes. This show is now completely crowdfunded. So you can support us by going on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash data stories. And if you can spend a couple of minutes reading us on iTunes, that would be extremely helpful for the show. And here's also some information on the many ways you can get news directly from us. We're, of course, on Twitter at twitter.com slash data stories. We have a Facebook page at facebook.com slash data stories podcast, all in one word. And we also have a Slack channel uh, where you can chat with us directly. And to sign up, you can go to our homepage, datastory.es, and there is a button at the bottom of the page. And we also have an email newsletter. So if you want to get news directly into your inbox and be notified whenever we publish an episode, you can go to our own page, datastory.es, and look for the link you find at the bottom in the footer. So one last thing we want to tell you is that we love to get in touch with our listeners, especially if you want to suggest a way to improve the show or amazing people you want us to invite or even projects you want us to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And don't hesitate to get in touch with us it's always a great thing for to hear from you so see you next time and thanks for listening to data stories